I mean, he could be walking down the street. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know a thing. Sorry to this man. Hello there. Welcome to Strength for Tomorrow Radio with me, Stuart Thompson, your host. This should be a popular episode. It's called I Was Wrong. There'll be lots of people listening to this who never listen to the show. But um, yeah, hope you're keeping well. Hope you listened to last week's show, the first one in a little while. If you didn't listen to it, go check it out. Um, it was a good one. This week, I'm six six years into full-time coaching. Um, hundreds of people, thousands of hours. And um, over the course of that time, I have been wrong. I know. It's a, I was as shocked as you were. But... Um, I was wrong about a lot of stuff, and uh, more than I'd probably be able to fit into this episode. Definitely more than I'd be able to fit into this episode. But I'm going to try and cover the main areas, the ones that stick out in my mind. So why am I saying this? Why am I bringing this to your attention? Um, surely it's going to make you think I'm a terrible coach, I'm a bit of an idiot, all of the above. But I think it's good and it's important to admit when you're wrong. It doesn't come easy to me, certainly. Um, but I think it's important professionally to admit whenever I get things wrong or I have gotten things wrong in the past and what the difference is what the change is maybe have a different approach or different understanding of things now if you were with me in the first year six years ago whenever I started off thank you thank you for trusting me with your fitness um I really appreciate that and um I, I still look back at all of those clients who came to me in the early couple of years when I was trying to get established and trying to build a reputation and get the business got off the ground and running I really really appreciate you taking a punt on the, on me um, but if you come back now if you're not longer with us some people are but if you're no longer with us um, you're no longer trading with us I should say that sounds bad um, you might notice that we do things really really differently now in general and the other reason that I want to say publicly that I was wrong where and when that I was wrong in major ways is so that if you're listening hopefully you won't make the same mistakes that I did you know belief is a really funny thing this is a bit of a psychology lesson we're going to go into here, but okay, but on one hand, you know, you can dismiss somebody's beliefs as being their own thing, being private, personal. Someone else, you might you might dismiss someone else's beliefs as being insignificant or not important, but I would say that this is a mistake. And the reason it's a mistake is if someone tells you what they believe, it tells you what sort of person they are, it tells you what they think about. If they truly believe something, it's going to act itself out. Because ultimately we live in our heads and our beliefs drive our actions whether we want to admit that or not. And um, if you start to believe that nothing matters, if you start to believe that your life is insignificant, what will start to happen is you'll start to wallow in self-pity. You might very quickly start to care very little about yourself or others, about personal hygiene, about getting out of bed, about your work, about all that stuff. Um, and you could very, very quickly fall into depression and find it really hard to get out of if that's all you can see. But if, on the other hand, maybe you believe that your life has significance, it has meaning, it has purpose, you are, you know, you're unique among the other what eight billion souls on the planet right now, um, and the billions who've gone before you, if you realise that you have unique giftings and skills that you've been blessed with so much in your life that you know really amazing people, you get to call your friends, you get to call your family, if you believe that you can help others, that your life can make a difference. Maybe it's helping your elderly parents or your grandparents. Maybe it's your kids bringing them up and looking after them. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your in your work. Maybe you get a lot of satisfaction from helping people in your work and doing, providing a good service. Or maybe it's charity work. Then you will have a drive. You'll have a passion. You'll have a vigor. You'll have an energy about you that doesn't really make any sense to people on the outside. But that's the end of psychology lesson, okay? You'll be glad to hear. I'm not a psychologist, thankfully. What I'm trying to say is, beliefs are important. If you believe exercise isn't very important for your health and well-being, then guess what happens? You aren't going to spend the time or the effort doing it, are you? Um, if, however, you're convinced that it's crucial for health and well-being, for optimal health and well-being, and without it, there are detrimental effects on our minds, on our bodies. We open ourselves up for all sorts of diseases and illnesses and sicknesses, um, pains and aches, then we will be more likely to do it, right? Now, some of us say we believe all that, we believe the studies, yeah, yeah, it cuts cancer rates, heart disease, blah, blah, blah. 
but we don't really believe it. And how do I know you don't really believe it? Because you don't do it. Okay, because you don't you don't train regularly. I know some some of the smartest people I know don't exercise. And it's not because they're smarter than me. Well that's true. It is because they don't really they don't really believe that it's as beneficial as it is. They can read all the studies. There's lots of people who do all these studies on our health and they'll report and happily tell you how beneficial these things are, but then they don't apply it to their own life. Sounds crazy, right? But it's true. And to narrow things in a little bit more, if I believe that lifting light weights is best for toning muscle, this is just an example, but I believe lifting light weights is best for toning muscle and lifting heavy weights is best for strength and power and building bigger muscles, I'm going to train this way myself and will train clients this way once they get, they tell me their goals. I can match the training methodology to their goals, right? If I sincerely believe this, I'm going to try and do what's best for my clients. But what if I realize over time, from experience, from working with clients and being exposed to um, other more experienced trainers, that this isn't the case, that this isn't what happens for one reason or another, and we're going to get into that later on, then I'm going to chart a different course, right? So that's what this episode is about. It's about me sharing with you what I've come to realize over the last six years, what differs, um, what we're still doing, a little bit of that, but mostly what we do differently now than we did five or six years ago. It's joke of the week time. I'm slipping this one in early so that you have to listen to it before we get into anything else. I recently bought a sweater that was picking up static electricity, so I had to return it to the store. They gave me another one free of charge. So where where have I been wrong? <laughs> where do I start? I suppose you should start where we kind of left off there about rep ranges. As I've already mentioned, rep ranges. How many reps should you do? Ten. 220. You know, if you read some of the trashy magazines, and I include men's health, women's health, and all that, I'm not really familiar with very many other ones, but maybe you are, probably Cosmopolitan, I don't know, fill in the blank. So you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong about, about this, right? But if you grab any magazine, first of all, 50% of the pages will be advertisements, okay? I dare you to turn out every, every page in the magazine that is not an advert and see how many you're left with. Just a little challenge, a bit of fun. But if you grab any of those magazines, what they will tell you is that if you want hypertrophy, um, by the way, they also love using that word because it really makes them sound like they know what they're talking about. They sound like they're familiar with the topic. But they'll say if you want to build muscle or hypertrophy, um, you will want to be training in the 8 to 12 rep range um, in every set with a couple of minutes rest in between. But if you want to build power strength, you should train in the 2 to 3 rep range. Sorry, if you want to build power, you should train the two to three rep, two to three rep range. And if you want to build strength, you should train in the four to six rep range. If you want to build endurance, you should train in the twelve to twenty rep range. Now, this in theory isn't wrong. So why am I wrong about it? Well, the key word there is in theory, because if you pick up any textbook, the mainstream textbooks, if you go on Amazon and see what they all say, um, there'll be loads of them pop up. Or if you do a PT course, personal training course, or exercise instructor course, or you ask a newly qualified trainer, they'll say the exact same thing. They'll they'll read it off like John three sixteen. Like they'll they'll know it down right, um, because that is what the studies say. That's what the papers say, and they've said that for quite a while. However, there are a number of problems with this, and uh, you'll encounter this whenever you work with a wide range of people in the real world and not in a, in a lab with lab conditions. And the problem is that very rarely will these studies ever mention whether or not the test subjects are novices, whether intermediates or advanced lifters. Is this the first time they've ever tried to lift a dumbbell or a barbell before? Um, or have they been maybe lifting for 10, 10 years or more? Rarely is this important detail mentioned, which is kind of crazy, but it explains a lot. But I think there's a really crucial mistake and you'll find this out if you train people in the real world for any length of time. And this is because of something called the novice effect. So if you've never lifted weights before, you don't really have much business going and lifting in the hypertrophy range, the 8 to 12 rep range, and definitely not in the endurance range. And 
doing inverted commas there because that's what they've been called. And I don't, I don't care whether you're a high-level distance runner, cyclist, swimmer, or other athlete. You, you, you still don't need to be doing those, those endurance ranges if you've never touched weights before. If you've never touched weights before, your main concern is not playing about in these rep ranges. It's getting stronger first, okay? Now, I guess you could form an argument for, from the perspective of getting more practice in to perfect forms of doing more reps. I've had that thought myself. But what happens is you quickly get frustrated because you will not, not improve, okay? Um, form starts going out the window. There's all sorts of reasons why these rep ranges will not work for somebody, especially a novice. But on the other hand, if you train for strength, so that four to six rep range isn't far away, it's pretty, pretty accurate, but say you just do fives, Stick with fives, do them well, do squats, do deadlifts, do presses, do whatever. Pick a handful of exercises and do them really well initially. Build up that strength. Then you can start playing about with those other things and seeing what happens. And apply it to your whatever it is you want to do. Whether you want to be a bodybuilder, whether you want to be a, a long distance cyclist, whether you want to be a swimmer. Whatever it is you want to do. But the problem why these rep ranges, the theoretical rep ranges, do not work in real world with real people is because it doesn't take into account whether someone's a novice or not. If you take someone who's never lifted before and you you start to train them and they're eating well, sleeping well, recovering well, and you apply these things, they will progress, they will get stronger, they will start to lift heavier and the weights will go up, they'll be adding weight every single session. The problem with all of these rep ranges is that is not the case. And it's a really frustrating time. You can take advantage of that novice period and uh, get a lot stronger, a lot quicker. You'll quickly run to a roadblock is what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying you won't get stronger, I'm not saying you won't add weight or you won't um, add reps to it. The problem is you'll quickly get frustrated and you'll run to a roadblock and you'll probably give up. You'll probably give up because you're not really getting stronger and if your your trainer is newly qualified, what they'll probably do is just switch up your program or they'll do something else or they'll change the exercise. And I'm not saying there's not a time and place to change, change exercises. There certainly is. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more later as well. But this is a massive problem with the rep ranges. If you stick in that kind of four to six range, say you do fives, okay? If you do fives, you're going to, whether you want to build muscle, you're going to build muscle, okay? As long as you're eating plenty, plenty of um, calories, plenty of protein. If you're a lady, you're going to get stronger. And again, the calories is the key thing, whether it's hypertrophy or strength or whatever it is, if you're going to put more weight in the bar. The key thing, it, 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 you can't just keep keep putting weight in the bar and accidentally turn it into the Incredible Hulk. It's not going to happen. Okay, so women being afraid of these rep, certain rep ranges and thinking they should lift a little pink dumbbell and uh, do a million squats with it because it's going to tone their bum or their thighs. Uh-uh, ain't going to happen. And there's a lot of fitness influencers out there who are selling this idea. And we're going to talk about that in a, maybe the next week or two as well. About why that, that theory and that marketing, I should say, is wrong. Um, and in short, it's because you, you get sore. And people think being sore is progress. It's an effective workout if you're sore. And it's not the case. So that's the first big thing I was wrong about. Was playing about with rep ranges with people who weren't strong enough. People who were novices. And we're going to talk a little bit more about rep ranges in a little while in a different context, but that's the first thing I was wrong about. Have you been wrong about this at some stage as well? So another area that I was wrong about was when I was training older people. Now, and there was nothing catastrophically wrong. There was nothing dangerous or ill-advised in that sense. But if we go back to rep ranges again, most textbooks... Um, if you're dealing with older people, even the courses that I've done um, will say that older people should train in, train with high reps and with low weight. If you read any magazines, if you read the newspapers even, they'll, they'll tell you the same thing. They'll say that. And this is the case, especially to begin with. This is what they advise, okay? Now, I followed this application for a while until I realized that this all this did for those people, for older people, was to make their muscles more sore which made it harder for them to recover from. So they got DOMS. So we're doing like 15, 20 reps of something. Three sets. Now that is a lot of, of, of reps. And it's a lot of work for their muscles to have to recover from. And this is what happened. And they found it hard to recover from. They were all sore, always achy. Their muscles were just beat up. And 
you would you would think that lightweight would not do that to you, but I can promise you, if you try and do like a hundred bodyweight squats right now, see how, let me know how your leg full full range. Let me know how your legs feel in a day or two, okay? Without any weight, just let me know how your legs feel. I promise you, you'll be sore. But then if you stick on a hundred kilos in your back and do um, five reps, three sets of five, now it's it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy that this this myth has taken hold. And again, if you train people in the real world, this is not what you find. Training older people with higher reps and lower weight is not beneficial to them. Their, their most pressing concern is that they are lacking strength, that they have, will have lost strength. Okay, So if you're in your 60s, 70s and 80s, you are not as strong as you were in your 20s and 30s. I know it's shocking, right? And again, I'm generalizing because there's some people, there's probably there's some people I I train who will tell me that they're now stronger than they were in their thirties and twenties because uh, of the training. Now they they're people who got into it, they enjoy it, and they're they're fully invested and they really really enjoy it. But you will have lost mobility, you've lost strength, you'll not be able to squat the depth probably, you'll not be able to have a good overhead position when you're pressing, so pushing things away from you, or pulling things down from overhead, you're going to struggle with. And older people generally don't want to be beat up and sore all the time like you young bucks, okay? If you're listening to this in your, in your 20s, you don't mind having sore muscles all the time. Some of you still think it's a good thing. Some of you. <laughs> Hopefully you've learned that it's not by now, but some of you think that that's a successful workout. So what we do now instead is we reduce the reps and we increase the weight gradually. We, we increase the weight and we try and build strength back into their hips, their legs, their shoulders, their chest, their, their arms, and restore mobility, restore function, restore range of motion, balance, coordination, and just confidence in their own bodies. And we think and feel, and I've seen this been really successful compared to the previous approach. So if that was you, <laughs> I can only apologize, as I said, I can only apologize if you had to do 20 reps of those things. Now, and something else when it came to older people that I made a mistake in doing was, or not doing, I should say, was avoiding things like deadlifts. And this is again because most of the textbooks, most advice in the mainstream will tell you that people's spines can't take it. Okay, that it was risky. And uh, again, it's a load of nonsense. It really is nonsense, and it's it's insulting to to older people to say that out loud that their spines can't take it or that is too much for them. What you'll find whenever you train older people, and you train a lot of them, is that there'll be certain mobility restrictions when they first start training. So shoulders is a big one. The shoulders can get really stiff and tight, and the full range of motion just isn't there. So th doing things like bench pressing and overhead pressing might not be in their scope, at least to begin with. It might be um, a little bit too much for them, whether it's with barbells or dumbbells, okay? I, it doesn't matter. Squats, again, hips can get tight. It can be hard to get down deep enough to, to the point where you know getting up and down off a chair can be an issue so if that's you if, that, if you're struggling with that we're going to walk you through and build you right up from body weight squats all the way up to using a barbell and as far as you want to go really but initially deadlifts are a really really important skill picking stuff up off the floor is important and um, keeping the hamstrings strong and healthy keeping the glutes strong and healthy are important to alleviate things like back pain and what we find is that deadlift is often the movement pattern that is last to leave an older person. So most people, if you ask them to reach down and pick, like stretch down and reach down and touch their, their feet, they can probably do it with a little bit of knee bend. Some people can do it with um, stiff knees, which is fine and it's cool, but you don't have to for a deadlift. You can bend your knees, you can reach down and pick it up. Um, some people struggle with that more than others, but what we can do, we can make adaptations, we can do things like rack pulls, we can elevate the bar, elevate the plates, by a couple of inches by putting plates underneath them or something like that and then again train that movement pattern of picking something up off the floor picking a weight off the floor and it's really successful now what are these people who said that older people shouldn't deadlift at all because it's too much stress for the spine what they don't appreciate is that there's a process in biology and it applies to every living organism and it's called stress recovery adaptation so whenever you, whenever you apply this to real life, what does it look like in the gym? First day, I might give you like a, a 15 kilo barbell. I might give you something lighter. I might give you a 6 kilo barbell. 
and I'll train you the movement pattern of how to successfully lift that off the floor. So what do we do? What are we doing there? We're, we're applying a stress. It's a calculated stress. And that means that you're going to hit all of the relevant muscles. You're going to attain a posture. You're going to stretch muscles. You're going to get into a position that you need to, be, to get in to lift something. And we're going to do it an appropriate amount in the first session. You come back two days later. We're going to maybe do it again. Um, and you're gonna, we're going to add a little bit of weight. We're going to add maybe a kilo or two. Maybe even more in the first the first couple of sessions. Because what will have happened is you'll have applied that stress on the Monday, you'll have recovered on the Tuesday, got slept, got well fed, and you come back in the Wednesday, and then you're able to do a little bit more stress recovery and adaptation. You have adapted to do a little bit more the next time. Now what happens if I was to give an older person a hundred kilos and told them to pick it up off the floor on the first day? What would happen? It'd be too much, right? Now that structure that the stress has been applied to, the structures, I should say, it'll be too much for them. It might squish discs. It might crunch vertebrae if their their, their bones are a little bit weaker and they didn't realise it and I didn't realise it. But we don't do that. We start light. We start something that they we start with something that they can do and then we build it up really gradually, really slowly, but progressively. And uh, it's really successful. It densifies their bones and increases their bone mineral quality and it stretches ligaments, tendons, builds up a resilience in those structures as well, helps her blood pressure, helps her aerobic system, helps her heart, helps her muscles, stops atrophy. There's a lot of things going on there. So deadlifts are something that I was an idiot for leaving out of older people's sessions and I apologise if that was you. <laughs> I was also wrong about trap bar deadlifts, or hex bars as they're sometimes called. But I have to admit, for a brief time, I used to think that trap bars or hex bars, as they're also called, were safer to lift than a standard barbell. I did. I feel silly for saying that out loud now, but I think this one's important to admit because a lot of people maybe still believe this. Trap bars seem to be getting really, really popular now. If you see social media, if you go to other gyms, if you used to go, if you went to the gym 10, 15 years ago, they used to be like a speciality bar in most gyms. Like people had never seen these things before. They were like this weird, obscure bar. Most people didn't know how, they, how what they were for, what what they did. Um, whereas now there seems to be nearly more of those in standard barbells. And to be honest, if I see someone deadlifting with a trap bar now, um, like someone coaching someone with a trap bar now, I just assume that the coach doesn't really know how to coach barbell deadlifts. I'm not saying that as like to be a prick. Honestly, that's my first thought now. I just oh, they mustn't really know what how, how to coach it and. That's fine, because that was probably one of the reasons that I sometimes favoured them, is because I wasn't confident in my ability to coach it. Um, so with some clients, I'd avoid actually using a straight bar for deadlifts. I think it was more for clients who'd mentioned maybe they'd back issues previously, maybe I was a little bit scared, I just wasn't confident in my ability to coach them successfully, so that their back felt good doing a straight bar deadlift. And I didn't want to feel responsible for their back getting a little bit achy or annoyed again. But... I feel like my coaching skills have improved a lot after six years. You kind of hope so, wouldn't you? Imagine like a plumber who's um, still like busting pipes and stuff after six years, um, long after he was an apprentice. But we rarely use a trap bar in the gym now. Very, very rarely. I'm trying to think of the last time that we actually used it. And uh, we do use a straight bar almost 100% of the time now. It sounds like one of those uh, online... It sounds like one of those um, advertisements, doesn't it? The guarantee. Ronsell. 100% of the time. Um... But I've actually heard some people go the other way and claim that the trap bar is actually more unsafe than a straight bar. Now, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think either is inherently unsafe. Like, it's an inanimate object at the end of the day. It's not going to hurt you. It's not like some madman run down the street with a machete after you. But I do think there's a lot more scope to go wrong in the setup with the trap bar than a straight bar. Um, it's more difficult to place your feet exactly where they need to be, where you want them in the, in the centre so that... You can spread the load evenly, front, back, and sides. Um, the the width of grip is also is fixed, so this can make it really challenging. Say you're shorter and you've narrower shoulders, or say you're taller and you've got wider shoulders. That width, that grip width you have to pick up, is going to stress your shoulders differently depending on how wide your shoulders are. It's just the way it is. The way it is. Um, the bar can sway back and forth as well, really easily because of where you grip it and how the bar is designed. And this can mean more weight can go through your knee joints at the front, 
maybe even your lower back as well. And all of these are not concerns when it comes to a standard barbell lift. You don't have to think about these things if you get once you get the setup right. And it's pretty easy to set up once you kind of know what you're doing. Now some people say it's safer because a trap bar is safer because you can stand inside it and the load is instantly distributed through the center of your body. So there's less stress on your lower back, your posterior chain. However, I would argue that you can you know you can lift a trap bar without proper form or without proper tension, and it's you can do do so easier than a straight bar, and this actually can increase your risk of injury. With a straight bar, if you don't get the setup right, if you don't load your hamstrings, create tension in your top half, stiffen your spine using your core, you'll feel your lower back straight away. You'll feel it very quickly. Even with a light weight, you'll feel feelings in your lower back that you shouldn't feel. Um, it's unforgiving. But this is a helpful cue to let you know that you're doing something wrong. So, I was wrong about the trap bar. Um, I, don't, I don't think it is safer than a, sta a straight bar. I think once you know what you're doing, once you you get you gain experience of working with people and knowing, right, they're they're ready to move up, up the weight a little bit. And then once you start off that light weight, you're happy with their form. They know what they should be looking for, what they're feeling. Then it's pretty easy to um, to get that weight going and get the weight moving. And it's, it's a lot lower risk than what people think. Now, some people have hurt their backs while doing a straight bar deadlift. I'm not denying that, but there's maybe a lot of other things that were going on. And most of the time, and Stephanie's over 50% of the time, it's because of form and technique, how they've been taught. Even head position, where they're looking, um, how close the bar is to them. There's all sorts of, of things go into a straight bar deadlift. Once you get those right, it is an incredible tool for doing deadlifts. That's about yeah. That's I'm trying to think of other other things people say about trap bar deadlifts that make them superior to a straight bar, but I really can't. People say you can load your quads more, but you can load your quads more on a a straight bar deadlift. Um, if you can, if you know what you're doing, and you want to be using your glutes and hamstrings more so anyway. Yes, you do need a bit of quads, but if you're wearing a pair of lifting shoes, you can probably get some quads in there anyway. I was wrong about functional training. And what it actually is as well. So I used to think functional training was something that it wasn't. Now I wouldn't go as far as to say that um, smart functional training was you know, involving a back squat on top of a bossy ball, or balancing on top of two kettlebells and squatting, or you know, lying with your back. Actually, no, this was the one I did think. I thought you, you, it made sense to lie with your just your back on a bench, and do some bench press, um, with your feet on the floor and no. So nothing supporting your hips so it would make your core in theory it would make your core work harder but all it really did was it, it made your bench press weaker so you weren't training at you were training at a, a, a massive suboptimal level so you weren't lifting if you could normally bench press 50 kilos you could maybe only bench 20 kilos doing it that way because you're at a dis disadvantage which doesn't doesn't really make sense and you're training your core. If you're doing bench press, probably you're doing your core. You're working your core anyway. Plus, there's lots of other core exercises you can do, and you also work your core doing heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, doing pull-ups as well. Another way I thought functional training made sense in my head was I thought you needed to replicate certain things and um, by doing doing it in the exact same way. So, for example, if you're practicing a golf swing, it made sense in my head that you practice with like a band and swinging with a band and trying to. Do things like that for rotation um, it it doesn't make sense okay so if you get stronger if you build your strength up and get stronger bench press get stronger overhead press get stronger pulling things pull-ups and um, deadlifts squats cleans stuff like that it's going to translate into your golf if that's what you do um, and that was something i didn't appreciate the value of back whenever i started but i feel like i have a better understanding of it now and i've trained a lot of clients and they can feel the benefit and the value of that now as well. I was also wrong about exercise selection. So whenever I first started training people, I had a very CrossFit mentality, I would say. I was exposed to a lot of that, and I, 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 I liked a lot of their methodology, a lot of their thinking, and some of the things I now don't like so much, but the mentality of CrossFit is, you know, more exercise equals better. So, you know, less exercises equals worse. So fewer exercises... I thought could lead to more imbalances. So I thought. Um, and the idea of CrossFit is their kind of little motto is constantly varied functional movements executed at high intensity. Which sounds pretty cool, right? A lot of big words in there. A lot of action words in there. 
So whenever you think, what does constantly varied mean? Well, there are a lot of exercises you could do. There are a lot of exercises you could select. Some are better than others. Whenever I say better, I mean more productive. Some are less productive. Someone once said this, novices complicate and experts simplify. So sometimes as a novice, you can you know, maybe want to prove yourself. And I'm talking about personal trainers here and coaches. Sometimes as a novice, you want to prove yourself or impress someone. You want to impress your client or you want to impress your, your colleagues um, so much that you will pull out some obscure exercise. Like you pull out the full repertoire of exercises you could possibly know or dream up. Um, or maybe you shun the most common exercises because you you know you don't want to you know be seen as a bit of a simpleton. You think that those exercises aren't good enough for you, you know, to show off your knowledge and your skills. And I'm not saying this was a conscious thought that I had. Maybe it was more of insecurity and feelings of inadequacy. You know, I, I selected exercises that would make people think that I knew more. And it's kind of so silly now, right? But all people want is to get fitter, get stronger, get leaner, get healthier and move better, maintain independence, play their sports better, play with their kids, play with their grandkids, right? You fill in the blank. But it's not about me and it's not about you as a, tra a trainer. So if you're listening to this as a trainer, learn from that. Stick with the simple things. Learn them really well and, and like I mean really well, like know them inside out and help people get better at those. Because in reality, the more you know, the less, oh, sorry, the more you know, the more obvious exercise selection becomes with clients the more obvious it becomes that accessory exercises are called accessory exercises for a good reason the, the reason experts simplify and use fewer exercises instead of more is because they understand and realize the value of five or six exercises and progressively getting better at those that um that whenever you you know you know if you perfect those get good at them compound exercises for example it makes a lot of other stuff an awful lot easier um, or even just possible if it was impossible beforehand. And I'm actually struggling to think of an example of an exercise now that I mean that I'm talking about because I've kind of blotted them from my mind or forgotten most of them because they're so stupid. Not even they're stupid, they're just, they, were, they, were, they didn't have a purpose in, in programming. And I don't use those programs anymore, I haven't used them for several years now. Um, but I suppose a good one to think of is like, Instead of doing dumbbell pullovers, why not just do a bench press and get stronger at the bench press, which works all of the same muscles and a lot more. Um, plus it will also greatly reduce your risk of injury. And it's a trainable exercise. And what I mean by trainable is you can gradually add weight every single session and you can do this for a really long time. So if you try to add two kilos to your dumbbell pullovers, you'll grind to a halt pretty fast. And if not, you'll more than likely injure yourself. Of course, there is a time and a place, I would say, for some of the more obscure exercises. If an issue like an imbalance or something creeps in on one shoulder, then like a bottoms-up press is an excellent exercise to try and improve that, try and fix that, and to try and help your shoulders function better. Um, there's certainly a time and place for banded things, but they shouldn't be at the centre of programming for 99.9% .9 of people, and they sh certainly shouldn't be in there long-term. I've also been wrong about low back issues. So in the past, I've had low back issues. I've trained people with low back issues. I've also avoided training some people with low back issues. I've said no. And especially whenever I was less experienced. Now, you think it would be the opposite, but I was probably more cautious when I was younger and I didn't want anything to do with somebody who had back pain because I didn't want to make things worse. And I still don't want to make things worse. But I would say I've gotten a number of things wrong over the years with regards to low back issues and being too cautious. My understanding of how the, you know, the nature of low back pain or aches, I think, has gotten a lot better. I would say I have a much more nuanced approach now. I, I think I know how to ask better questions to potential clients and current clients. Instead of just you know saying, I couldn't train them, I'll figure out the nature of the issue and what is realistically possible for them to do to train around it. And we'll try things and then we'll figure out what they can do and what they can't do, but we'll not hurt them. We'll not try and make things worse. And sometimes, yes, you just need to go home. You just need to go home and not annoy it for a few days and it's under their responsibility. But I think I've gotten better at ascertaining where, where they're at with it and um, what sort of what sort of pain it is. And is it is it an injury or is it, is it actual pain? Is it bad pain? Is it feedback? What is it? I would say that I've never tried to go outside of my scope of practice. I don't think I've ever tried to fix someone's lower back. I, I would say I've, I've never tried to do that. It's, I'm not a physio. I'm not a doctor. I'm not 
in the medical field whatsoever. But I have tried to recommend mobility drills to clients and class members um, they could try at home that maybe include long, you know, they can include in their program or in their, their habits long term that will help them stop getting low back pain if it keeps coming back um, and stop it happening in the first place. But I've never said, oh, your back's sore. I know what it is. Do this. I've never done that. And I don't intend to ever do that. It's it's not my it's not my area and it's something you need to be incredibly careful about because we all need our spines, right? But I do try to ease people's concerns when it comes to the low back. There's this profaning myth that once you hurt your back, you're always going to be in pain. You're with it the rest of your life. And it's simply not true. Even people tell you that you've got degenerative disc disorder, which is a really common thing. And if you scan anybody's back over the age of 30, they would have all sorts of damage to their discs. And they might, might not, not feel pain. You have two people with bulging discs and not feel any pain, not feel any discomfort. Um, you could have another 10 people and that would be the same case, and you might have one person whose scans all look identical, you wouldn't know who they were, and one person will be in pain, but you couldn't tell from their scans. So, I realise that now. I also realise that chronic low back ache can also stem from your hips and your shoulders an awful lot of the time, more often than you would realise. It's from imbalances, so one side's a little bit tighter in your hips than the other, hips not moving properly, not rotating properly, muscles getting tight, pulling, and causing discomfort in certain areas. So whenever you go and do a squat, there's more pressure through one side than the other, and next thing, your back hurts on that side, or you do a deadlift, next thing it hurts. And it's not that those things cause the issue, it's that there's something wrong to start with. So if we look at you know these areas, it's amazing how much better our back can feel. If we work on our hip mobility and rotation, internal and external rotation of the hips, it's amazing how much better you can make an achy back feel um, if you keep working at it. And if the low back is feeling sore, it's generally not the back's fault. A lot of the time, this is like a back injury and there's some sort of trauma there which is not the case for an awful lot of people and it heals anyway in any case pretty quickly in a few months it's coming from somewhere else this is really important to understand and instead of getting someone who's previously had low back injuries instead of getting them to do back extensions and sit-ups to strengthen the core and lower back um, I'm going to avoid using those exercises altogether because what happens is it doesn't improve things and quite often it can make the back ache come back um, so it can make things worse Instead, I'll do some screening, I'll assess their hip mobility, shoulder mobility, um, and I'll maybe try and build mobility exercises into their program so they can keep training pain-free and making progress. And it's been really, really successful, I'd say, in the last number of years. Um, the more I've understood about, about backs and low back ache and different types of back ache, and more understand about the hips and how all these things are connected and work as a, a unit, um, I think we have done a pretty good job. And helping people to continue making progress and training and get out of the get out of pain and um, that annoying ache. It's not even as an injury, it's just annoying. It's just irritating. It's there all the time. But mobility goes an awful long way to stopping these things from starting in the first place. Something else that I was wrong about is what is training? The nature of what training consists of, the definition of it. So training and working out are not the same thing. And these two phrases are sometimes used interchangeably, but that is a massive mistake in my opinion because basically it bastardizes and degrades the meaning of the word training. Training involves progression. It involves a regular pattern of the same exercises with a clearly defined goal in mind um, that you can measure in some way. As old Peter Drucker said many moons ago, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Of course, he's referring to business management, but the point is still applicable here. If, you work, if you're working out or if you're exercising, this, this is not so clearly defined. It's a much broader um, scope. It's when you just go into the gym, you know, you start pissing about in one machine, then you go to the next machine, then you try maybe the treadmill for a few minutes, then you go meandering over to the rowing machine, then maybe try a few dumbbell curls to get a bro pump in the arms, maybe finish off with a few leg extensions, and then over do a few sit-ups, and then you head home. And then the next time you hit the gym, Two weeks, two weeks later, you go and do something that is completely different and you can't remember what you did the last time. You don't remember what the weights were. You don't remember the reps you did or how long you rested for in between. You don't know if you're improving or if you're not in anything or in any shape or form. This is still exercising. It's still working out technically, but it's certainly not training. Now, I used to be a big fan of just getting something and do some sort of movement. And I still am to, to a large extent, especially if I'm on holiday. You know, I want to move, I want to do something, get a sweat on and whatnot. 
but I'm a lot more strategic about what I do now. I'll actually avoid doing something I think it's going to interfere with my main training if I think it's going to be hard to recover from. If I think that it's going to make me so sore or fatigue my muscles so much so that I can't do my heavy back squats tomorrow, then I'm not going to do 100 bodyweight jumping squats as fast as I can today because I'll be in agony and I'll be really fatigued. Now, unless my goal is to be able to do 100 bodyweight jumping squats faster and improve upon that, it's counterproductive for me to do it because I'm going to be sore for probably several days afterwards because it's not something I'm used to doing. Now, I now know that training is strategic. It's got a clear purpose. It isn't random. It isn't something you'll forget about or not bother tracking. It's important so it makes sense to track it. Okay, If it's important enough, you're going to track it. So in the last six years, I definitely have a greater respect for training and how it differs from working out or just exercising or basically just pissing about in the gym. So there you have it. I was wrong several times, quite a lot. Um, but all of these realizations have come with experience. And I guess this, this is one of the reasons why I charged an awful lot less for my services six years ago than I do now. And I also feel morally much better about how cheap my, my training was back then. Um, having made the mistakes that I made I didn't make the mistakes out of spite or negligence or on purpose, but I just didn't have enough reps in, if we can use that analogy. It's too late, I've already used it. Um, I just didn't have enough experience. I didn't have enough experience, and that's kind of the point. That's why you don't charge as much for your services when you're not as experienced, because you don't know as much, and you haven't that breadth of experience to draw upon for um, your your new clients. I hadn't worked without, you know, sorry, I hadn't worked with a big enough range of people to understand these things, and I hadn't discovered their resources that are available now from other coaches and trainers who are much more experienced than me and who have been doing this for an awful lot longer and have seen it all, done it all. And it's not easy to admit when you're wrong. I know it's good fun to joke about it, but you know, especially in stuff like this, it's not easy to admit. But I think it is necessary. Hopefully it builds trust. Hopefully, you know, you'll see that I'm not just going through the motions that we're you know, we do think about these things deeply. We 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 take we think about these things, we take feedback every single day, we analyze things. And I'm not so dogmatic about my own approach that this is the only way to do things that I'm completely unwilling to admit whenever I was wrong or to change direction uh, or admit that I didn't understand things as, as, as well as I do now. And I've still a lot to learn. Everybody's always got, got, got things to learn. You can, you can kind of try and keep perfecting your craft and keep perfecting um, your knowledge and keep improving. But it might have been easier in some ways to bury my head in the sand, pretend like what I realised wasn't true or real. Did you keep feeding, you know, what the trashy magazines um, said to do, just keep doing that and to not take a nuanced approach, but it just wouldn't have sat well with me. I don't think it would have been easier in the long run. I think it would have ate away at me, my conscience. I, f I would feel like I was living and teaching lies and, uh, and a method I didn't fully believe in or trust. And it's hard to keep doing that and to remain passionate about it. And there's still lots and lots of things I haven't changed my mind about. There's still lots of things um, that I'm yet to be convinced of, like the value of weight training machines for 99% of people. I'm not convinced about transformation contests. I'm not convinced about fad diets, Weight Watchers, Slimming World, all of that. If you can convince me, I'm all ears. I'd like to hear your best case. So I still think I was right about an awful lot. And the, not to sound arrogant, but um, and the ethos, the main thing is the ethos of CrossFit Fitness hasn't changed. It's fitness for a living. It's equipping you to live life on your terms, to maintain independence. So whether you're a teenager or whether you're in your 80s to be able to live life in your terms to not be physically restricted to being like oh, I would love to do that but I've got this thing or I'm not strong enough or I'm not fit enough or blah 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 what you fill in the blank um, whenever we, um, I was creating cross-functional fitness and setting it up and as we're finding it finding finding I think that's the word isn't it whenever I was doing that um, these all these details and things were exactly that details and as I said there's nothing that got catastrophically wrong I don't feel I feel like I still had a pretty decent grasp on stuff so hopefully if you were training with me back then that fills you full of a little bit more confidence but I thought it would be helpful to share all of the things the big things that I got wrong and how we're doing things differently now and um, why we're doing those things differently now so in this week's news roundup um, this is a story that kind of slipped through the net for me. I didn't get to talk about it. It was in the mainstream media. It was in the headlines. It was in the independent. It was in every publication basically a few weeks ago. But this is from the 4th of November and it's in Yahoo Life. And it was in the independent as well. But Yahoo have, have uh, 
I've taken up the story, but it says, as study finds lowering weights builds more muscle than lifting, how do you lower weights in the gym? Um, the term lifting may dominate when we talk about building strength in the gym, but could bringing weights back down actually be what's best for you? New research from Edith Cowan University found a particular type of muscle contraction was most effective at increasing muscle strength and size. And rather than the focus being on lifting weights, it was lowering that, then that gleaned the fastest results. So this was a story the mainstream media lost their mind over it, and it was like BBC were probably reporting it. Everybody was talking about it for a couple of days. This is by Emmy Brighty Potts, class name by the way. But um, we've long known that lowering weights does more damage to muscle fibres than lifting weights. This is not something new. Um, now the mainstream media are getting on as if it is something new, but it's, it's not. We've known this for a long, long time. So as I say here, the study saw three groups perform different types of dumbbell curls twice a week for five weeks, as, a we as well as a control group who did none of the exercises. <laughs> Fair enough. They were pretty useful, weren't they, in that study? Imagine being like being asked to participate in, the, in a study and uh, you've been told that you don't have to do anything. Those who only lowered the weights saw the same muscle improvements as participants who both raised and lowered them, despite doing just half the number of reps. So it's interesting. So if you're short on time in the gym, it could be worth factoring plenty of lowering actions in your strength routines. And while we may throw the, the phrase lifting weights around, when it comes to muscle growth, it's not all about the lifting part. Um, our body can generate greater forces under eccentric conditions from lowering weights than under either isometric, static or concentric lifting contractions. This allows us to tear down those muscle fibers, especially when working out. Sorry, especially when I'm working at the full range of motion exercises, Martena David, personal trainer, gymbox.com. This also allows us to utilize the eccentric and concentric phases of each exercise effectively to help break down, repair, and rebuild muscle fibers. Working in the eccentric phase gives you room to work with tempo efficiently, a really effective way to tear down muscle fibers and then allow them to recover and rebuild. So, how do you, um, they're asking here basically how do you lower weights? And they go into detail on that one, some detail. But um, you can work on eccentric phases on compound lifts like squats, deadlifts, and bench press in isolation exercises like bicep curls. You will notice you're more likely feeling the impact and effectiveness of eccentric contraction and isolation exercises like bicep curls and leg extensions where you can really focus on lengthening and contracting the muscle you are trying to target, she adds. When isolating a muscle, it's easier to overload and contract that muscle with tempo on, in the eccentric phase. So... What do I think of this? I think it's a little nonsense, to be perfectly honest. Um, and again, I think it comes from that idea that being sore is a good thing. Making your muscles sore is a good thing. So this will make your muscles sore. There's, there's lots of famous studies on The most famous study done in this is a bunch of people went up a mountain, right? They climbed the mountain. The other group of people got a cable car to the top. And then they walked down. And they were probably laughing, thinking, this is brilliant. This is great. We get to take the cable car up and then we can get downhill all the way. What actually happened was the group who walked up and then got the cable car down, they were le they were um, less sore than the group that got the cable car up and had to walk down. So again, it's that lowering, it's that eccentric contraction of muscles and they had loads and loads of reps obviously going downhill. But they were more sore. So it's not something new, but the mainstream media kind of ran away with it. But what, it doesn't really change anything. It doesn't mean you're gonna get. It doesn't mean you're gonna get stronger in any significant way if you're just thinking about letting squat a squat down, and not trying to push back up. Which one do you think builds more strength? Trying to push back up from the squat or lowering the weight down. Like I mean, useful strength. I mean, strength that can be translated into other things. It's hard as pushing it up, right? In some ways, lowering it down is 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 well. It feels easier, but it's not. It's not easier if you do it right under control and with tension. But they are right, when you do isolation exercises, which I would contend are largely a waste of time for the vast majority of people unless you're trying to do bodybuilding, then sure, go for it. Have fun. But um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lift the I'm not gonna let the um if you're doing squats don't expect me to go over and pick the barbell off your back so you can do another lowering squat, okay? If you're doing deadlifts, don't expect me to like this is an arc example, deadlifts. Um if you're doing deadlifts and you do Romanian deadlifts and just let the bar down, keep the tension on and then you shoot back up, you'll do it with a lighter weight. You'll be really sore for days later, but you're not really getting stronger. It's not going to help you pull weight from the ground. It's not going to help you translate that into other things. So I'm sure there's some value to it from a bone density point of view and all of that. Loading up in general is going to help, but you're not going to build as much muscle and get as strong 
and just do the whole thing. Just lift the weight. Just lift the weight. Leave the uh, leave the craziness to the media. Our second news roundup story. This is from eighth of December, so just yesterday, and it's from the Guardian. So it says, strengthen your heart, bones, and maybe even your brain. A beginner's guide to weight training at any age. And I've got a grey-haired lady doing a deadlift by the looks of it um, in the photograph. And this is by Joel Snape. So it says, a resistance workout is not just about adding muscle. It can bring a whole host of other proven benefits as well. So what is stopping you? And then someone called Fiona Clement says, I got obsessed with watching Olympic weightlifting during London 2012. She's a software developer in London. I think it's partly because the effort is so visible. You can see every flicker of doubt, pain and triumph in the athletes' faces. I was 48 at the time. I thought I'd left it too late to even consider trying it. But then I kept thinking about it. It took until September 2022, but I finally went for it. Now, 58, Clement can deadlift 50 kilos and push 21 kilos overhead. She says she has never felt stronger. Um, so that was... So it took, what was that? It took, it took in September, but I finally went for it. So that's pretty good. That's from like, so from September to December, she's um, got her deadlift up to 50 kilo and she was able to press 21 kilos overhead. Don't know what she started that, but fair play to her. Um, resistance training to use the catch-all term for any sort of exercise where you're working against weight, whether it's using dumbbells, exercise bands, uh, or just your body weight, has a, lot, has a lot to recommend. It makes you stronger and more injury-resistant by increasing bone density and strength of the muscles, ligaments, and tendons around your joints. It mitigates the risk of other from falls to osteoporosis as you age. It can burn calories and reduce body fat more effectively than cardio by keeping your metabolism elevated for days after each workout plus it's more flex effective for flexibility on certain styles of stretching strength training can reduce blood pressure lower cholesterol and improve circulation by strengthening the heart and blood vessels and probably protects against heart disease probably of course it does absolutely does it improves mood it might help with your risk of depression it definitely helps your risk of depression helps helps not just risk of depression but helps you to um to manage depression and depressive um episodes better there's studies in that. They're just maybe not aware of that. And seems to have protective effects against dementia and cognitive decline. It also just makes life a little bit easier. It makes life a lot easier. From moving on a sofa when it's time to do the vacuuming to wrangling your carry on onto an overhead locker. These things are often simpler with just a little bit extra strength. Getting off the toilet. Getting up and down the stairs. Carrying the shopping. Lifting your kids. There's all, there's like, the list goes on and it just makes running easier. It makes everything easier. Everything, life is just better when you're stronger. That's my that's my two two cents. So, why don't more people do it? A survey published in May suggests that even though sixty seven percent of UK adults meet the current uh, guidance guidelines for aerobic activity, only three only seven point three percent of men and four point one percent of women achieve the recommendations for strength and activity. That is really sad and really crushes my heart. Um, as the UK population ages, it should be a no-brainer whether you're hoping to stave off osteoporosis or hoist your children a lot when they come to visit. But for many people, strength, strength training comes with a few sticking points. I just thought that it would be impossible to make a difference to my body as an older woman, says Joanna Blacker, a small business owner and recent qualified personal trainer from West London. Um, who took up strength training at 53. I'd been through the menopause, gained weight and felt awful. I certainly didn't think that weight, tra weight training would be the way I would change my body. I thought I should be doing lots of class-based aerobic style exercise. And that's really sad. Lots of people think that. You think, and I'm really glad actually the Guardian has picked this story up and is trying to promote strength training because it is an absolute, it's an absolute disgrace that it isn't publicised more and it isn't pushed more in the media. You think of the damage the media has done in the last two years with COVID and lockdowns and destroying businesses and don't get me started on it. But why not do some good for a change? Why not help people? Just by making them aware of what strength training does. I mean, they clearly are aware. There's somebody in the media aware of it. They're writing this story, aren't they? Um, you think if gyms is full of muscled guys strutting around, hogging all the weights, you wouldn't want to step in and not know what you're doing. That This attitude is uncommon. And that really bugs me, and this is this is why one of the, the ethos of cross-functional fitness is that people should say hello to each other. You should say hello. We don't have anybody like that, and we don't want people like that. We want people who are friendly, who support each other. And it's my opinion that bodybuilding has ruined strength training for a long time now. People think if you're doing weights, it's because you want to be a bodybuilder. If a woman does weights, they think it's because they want to look like a man. 
it's not the case. It's actually really bizarre. But I blame, I kind of blame bodybuilding and the era of bodybuilding still, that there's those remnants left over that people think that way. Somebody down the street here is you're doing weights. An average person, they think you want to be a bodybuilder. They think you're trying to be huge. Yet you've got some sort of eating disorder as well, probably. So as I said, this attitude is uncommon. Running to take the nation's favourite cardio activity is something you can do alone and unsupervised. Yeah, but you also there's a real massive um, risk of injury with it. Overuse injury happens all the time. Um, everything from knee injuries, ankles, hips, lower back, um, stress fractures, plantar fasciitis. There's all sorts of things go with it. Lifting is something that most people associate with going to a gym or working with a trainer. Running is simple, and the goals are clear. Get a bit faster. Do it for a bit longer without stopping. Maybe do a five k, or if you're keen, a marathon. Weights are intimidating. And there's always a niggling feeling that if you push it too hard, you end up worse off than you before you started. Don't know why that you would have that niggling feeling, but that's certainly not the case. And weights are not intimidating; they're inanimate objects. Don't be intimidated by inanimate objects, okay? People are more scary than weights, to be honest with you. Going out for a run, people are like you know, cars. That's more scary. You get hit by a car, hit by a bike. Bikes everywhere now. Perhaps more importantly, sorry, most importantly, running includes a single movement pattern that every human naturally understands lifting has dozens and it's not clear which ones you need to focus on well i'm trying to make it more clear <laughs> i'm trying my best the fragmented nature of the fitness industry doesn't help the qualifications you need to work as an entry level person in the uk to teach very little about practical strength training focus instead on machines and class and teaching classes very very true um and again disgraceful that they haven't changed anything from the 1970s i'm convinced so how do you Get around these problems. First by remembering that you do not need to join a gym. It's building with some it's a building with some fitness equipment, not some sort of holy ground where fitness must take place, as Andrew Tracy, fitness editor of men's health. By not outsourcing your fitness to somewhere else, you'll save a fortune gym membership parking fees and fuel, you'll also remove all of those things as obstacles every time you think I can't be bothered, it's a lot harder to say no when you've got all you've got to do is to walk into your garage or spare room. You'd think that, right? You think that. But I we have people come to this gym or open gym and they come because they want to get out of the house for a couple of hours because they know they'll get distracted with the kids they know they'll not be able to get paced to train they, they just the motivation isn't there they've got somebody here pushing them they could, have, oh, they could have a better gym than I have here to be honest with you they've probably spent more money over the years collecting crazy equipment and they still prefer to come here and the train so everyone's different Mr Andrew Tracy next up Realising that your body understands resistance as resistance, dumbbells and kettlebells, these cannibals that weights with a hand at the top are just one convenient form. You can start by using your own body weight and objects around the house. Although, if you are, says Sally Moss, a strength coach who specialises in Olympic lifting, for example, you can use your stairs to help do a push-up by putting your hands on a high step or use a chair to do a step-up. Although, on the other hand, if you get better at bench press, suddenly push-ups become easier if you are really bad at push-ups. And you know what? Most people aren't good at push-ups. Most people are, are better at learning the bench press first and then get better at push-ups. True story. So it's quite a long article actually. It goes on and on and on and gives you a few exercises here. Um, horizontal. So it gives you push. It gives you press-ups. Gives you bent over rows. Gives you pull-ups. Dumbbell press. Um, kettlebell swings. Reverse lunges. Goblet squats. Um, suitcase carry. And it gives you examples of workouts. So. Kind of like we were, <laughs> kind of like we were saying earlier, reps are simply repetitions. It's the number of times you do an exercise before you start rest. Sets are simply groups of reps. So ten press-ups followed by a rest followed by another ten set of push-ups. Two sets of ten reps. So it's given how many reps should I use? So here, like I said in the, earlier in the episode, the general rule is that using a weight allows you to get through one to five reps builds pure strength. Five to twelve helps build helps with muscle, and anything over twelve builds muscular endurance. But there's a fair bit of crossover. If you're doing, if you're working with a light set of dumbbells or a band, there's nothing wrong with doing reps until the speed drops off. Oh, <laughs> uh, they were going so well, and then they got to this bit, right? And the, like, yeah, that's really disappointing. But we know better now because you've listened to this this episode of this podcast. But it's encouraging that they're actually encouraging people to like do some strength training. Um, it'd be nice if they got some of the um, if they got some of the things correct but how are they to know could ask me right could ask us could ask you you know as much as they do by now 
But yeah, that's the roundup of this week's news. Hope you find it interesting. If you have any questions or any comments, I would love to hear from you. So that's the end of the show. Thank you once again for listening. If this is your first time listening and you just want to tune in to hear me say that I was wrong out loud, audibly, welcome to you as well. My wife's almost certainly listening to this episode. Probably my brother as well. But um, have a great weekend, whatever you are up to. It's getting close to Christmas now. It's the 9th of December. So hopefully you got all your Christmas shopping done. And I'm only talking to the women. It's still very, very early for us men. Um, still got about two weeks for my calculations. But, you know, don't forget, train the day so you can be stronger tomorrow. And hopefully I will see you next week.